Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Bookshop Podcast. I'm Mandy Jackson-Beverly. Join me as I speak with authors and other guests who specialize in subjects dear to my heart, the humanities and our environment. To help the show reach more people, please consider sharing with friends and family and on social media. And remember to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast. You're listening to episode 155. Ashley Poston is a national best-selling author who writes stories about true love and found families for both teens and adults. She studied English at the University of South Carolina and now lives with her bossy cat and a mountain of books in her hometown. Hi, Ashley, and welcome to the show. It's so lovely to be here. It's great to have you here, and I enjoyed your most recent book, The Dead Romantics. It was funny, quirky characters, and it's all set in the publishing world, so what's not to love about that? And thank you for writing such a charming love story with a ghostly element. Thank you. You're welcome. The story is set in New York's literary publishing world, something you've experienced. How long did the story linger before you began writing about Florence, and are any of the characters or scenes taken from real life? The Dead Romantic just like kind of happened. Um, there aren't really any scenes directly taken from real life. There are definitely inspirations because I used to work uh, in publishing. So I have firsthand accounts of a lot of it. And I've also been publishing for quite a while. So uh, I didn't really go into the Dead Romantics uh, knowing I wanted to write about um, a writer in publishing. But then I figured out uh, what themes I wanted in the dead romantics. And I realized that um, her being a ghostwriter in publishing would be a really wonderful foil for her imposter syndrome and what she's trying to like figure out about herself and her creative burnout. So I thought it would be a really nice um, all in comp, like a, a nice uh, package for uh, to like kind of unpack and figure out. And perhaps with any creative endeavor, elements around us of what's going on in our own life have a tendency to creep in, whether consciously or subconsciously, into whatever it is we're working on, whether it be writing, dance, painting, or music. Oh, absolutely. Um, Florence's uh, imposter syndrome is very much my own. It's uh, I, I, I joke that it's like the only thing of Florence that is also mine because um, I am not like the main character whatsoever. So that was the both the easiest and the hardest part to write was her grappling with the fact that she is the ghostwriter for this very prominent romance author, and she feels that she cannot um, survive or be a uh, be a writer in her own right because she is has only ever been successful under the name of someone else. Well, hopefully by writing about imposter syndrome and garnering the success with the book that you're having, your imposter syndrome is taking a step back. In The Dead Romantics, the name of Anne's literary agent is Molly. You write of her, quote, Molly was one of the best agents in the business and I liked working with her, so it was a no-brainer. But you know, I had to sit and think on it since I wasn't sure what I wanted to do next, end quote. Your agent is Holly Root, whom I've met a few times at writing conferences in Los Angeles. So I'm guessing Molly was perhaps a tribute 
to Holly. How long has Holly represented you and what makes her the perfect literary agent for you? <laughs> I actually didn't think that think about the similarities until you just pointed it out. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I thought it was preconceived. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense now. Um, Holly has been my agent since the very beginning. I think it's been about eight years now. Uh, she read a very first, not my very first uh, book on submission because I've done other books on submission before, but it was for my really weird space opera, Heart of Iron. And she loved it. And I remember the call that we had and whether or not we were a good fit for each other. And I was like, Holly, I really like to write weird things. And she's like, good, the weirder, the better. And, <laughs> and like, ever since then, um, I've, I've gone to her with these, with these weird stories. Not, and uh, I, I know with the dead romantics, I was like, Holly, I know ghost stories really aren't a thing right now, but how do you feel about this really weird ghost story? And she read like the first five chapters and she's like, done. We, this is it. This is the one. <laughs> so I think you've brought up a really good point. So often when I speak with new writers, they finish their manuscript and they're starting to look for an agent. And straight off the bat, they're looking at big name agents with huge clients, right? Big name clients. And I say, you know what? It's more important that you find the perfect agent for you and your story. That is what's important. And it sounds like you and Holly are a perfect match. So that's great. But I can't believe this is the first time you've thought of the Holly-Molly connection. You must have done it subconsciously. It was. I, I, I didn't even think about it. I was like, oh, I guess that is a one letter difference. It, it, it makes sense. <laughs> so. Well, it is kind of cute when you think about it. Okay, so The Dead Romantics is your first adult fiction novel. What did you need to adjust about your writing and what did you enjoy most about the switch? Uh, so for the last six years, I've been writing young adult novels. That's where I got my start at with uh, Geekerella and then Heart of Iron. And I've published six novels in the young adult sphere since then. Uh, there's really there's challenges to both of them I find I I've, I've always read um adult romances and adult fiction and I knew I wanted to write an adult fiction novel at some point uh I had queried some before I got into YA and so it was always something that I always wanted to do and that was one of the things that me and Holly discussed on that first call was she was like do you want to just be in YA and I told her no I want to write everything I want to I want to try everything I find that writing adult and YA is mostly different because YA is deals with firsts a lot. It's like first kiss, first love, uh, finding your way in the world, right? Where you fit in and like figuring out the world in relationship to you. And in an adult novel, it's you, the characters already know kind of where they fit in, where they want to go. Uh, they might not be happy with where they are or where they've been, but they, they know the rules of the world by now. And it's not really their first rodeo with hardly anything. And when it is, it's like a very big deal and it's wonderful and magical. So it's just trying to find magic in something that is tired and old, I guess. Well, not old, but something that you've like lived in and existed in for a while. And it's just trying to find that new spark and that, and that new plot, you know, uh, for, for an adult novel. Well, you did a wonderful job. And I got to say, I love the cover too. It's really simple, but it's sweet. It's so pretty. Yes, it is. And I love the color, the apricot kind of pink and the aqua. It's eye-catching. 
Now, I don't like giving away spoilers in this podcast. However, let's talk about ghosts. Have you ever experienced any ghostly encounters? I have, technically. Um, when I was little, I used to... My parents said it was a haunted house that we lived in. I, I, I'm not sure how much I believe in ghosts myself as like a like an actual thing, but... I, I do have some experiences with like something a little otherworldly. I'm not sure if uh, if like it's my memory that like makes it more magical or more like spooky than it actually was. But so the story goes, my parents built their house on top of um, a bit of farmland and the farmland had a barn on it and the barn had a roost where one of the older family members of the family that previously owned the land would go and like read or knit or whatever. And so uh, when my parents built the house, there were big chinaberry trees in the backyard. The stories go that sometimes at night when you were washing the dishes or getting a glass of water, you would look out the back kitchen window and see an old woman rocking in a rocking chair up in the chinaberry trees. Uh, my uncle has seen it. My dad's seen it. Uh, my mom has seen an old woman ironing at an ironing board. One time there was like a cold like a gust of wind on her neck and she thought it was the dog or something breathing on her but the dog was on the other side of the bed and it's just like really spooky things like that which I'm not too sure if those things actually happened or, or if it was you know really like fun spark of imagination but I do like the idea of ghost stories more than I do whether or not ghosts are real or not because it's not really whether or not they're real that like you know, makes the shiver go up your spine. It's the story behind them, right? It's the, whether these things go, that go bump in the night. So in a way, I think that ghosts are real, but maybe not in the physical, well, not physical because ghosts aren't physical. I mean, they can be physical in some fiction novels, but, <laughs> but like, they're not, like, maybe, maybe they are real. Maybe they aren't, but I'm not going to be one to decide. <laughs> I think when you have experienced something in that realm, uh, a ghostly experience, then you can't help but be thinking about it and start wondering what could be. It's definitely a subject I'm interested in. Oh, my, my mom too. <laughs> and is she still living in the house? Uh, no, we moved from that house um, like about... 20 years ago but we still drive by it sometimes but uh but no my mom is very deep into like you know ghost shows and occult things and she always like tells me stories about things that she's seen or like you know things that she's uh she like researched and I really appreciate it <laughs> and with that in mind how did the idea for the family living in and being involved with the funeral home come to be I, when I began writing The Dead Romantics, I knew I wanted it to be a little spooky. And so when I was crafting Florence, I kind of wanted her to be, because she saw ghosts, I kind of wanted her to be a kind of like a Wednesday Adams kind of uh, character. But like if Wednesday Adams left the goth phase in the past and, and like tried to assimilate it her, herself into like, you know, modern culture. Uh, so I wanted to write my own Adams family. And so the, the day family is like my, my translation of the quirky, um, like death loving, um, well, death celebratory family that is the Adams family. Well, you did a great job. I loved it. Okay, Ashley, can you share your journey from your first finished manuscript to getting an agent and then your first publishing deal? 
it's going to be really cliche, but I've been writing literally my entire life, except for, you know, when I was a little baby and I couldn't write. So I guess not literally, but close enough, close enough. (laughs) My first story was when I was seven and it was a short story with a lot of onomatopoeia in it um, about an octopus who went into a shoe store to buy a pair of shoes. It was really cute. And uh, when I was little, I had a really bad speech impediment. I stuttered a lot. And so I would always get made fun of for it. And I was in speech therapy for quite a few years. I found out that um, I could harness words and make them do what I wanted them to do when I wrote them down. So I guess that's kind of how I started um, writing. And then when I was in daycare, care there was this like bully who like always picked on me but I found out I could pacify him if I told him a horror story every day (laughs) cute so so, like here I was like a nine-year-old in like the corner of the playground doing like a little like uh R.L. Stein like spooky scary story hour and I wouldn't get beat up if I did that so um but then later he got kicked out because my parents complained because I would you know being beat up and everything oh I'm so sorry to hear that but uh but yeah so I guess like I've always I've always kind of loved writing and I knew I wanted to write books because books have always been kind of like my comfort they've always been a warm blanket for me so I knew I wanted to also do that um, I started querying way too young at like 16. I got so many rejection letters from agents. And then I just kept writing books. I think the first like full book I wrote was when I was 14. It was way too long. It was like 300,000 words. Oh my gosh. It was a lot. Uh, and then I wrote another one and another one and another one. And I think uh, I think I was 26 when I wrote a book that I finally queried for real. And that was the one that uh, my agent, Holly Root, read. And that was the one that she fell in love with. And uh, and yeah, so I think it took me eight or nine books to get to that point because I needed to figure out how I wrote in my voice. And throughout uh, high school and college, I wrote a lot of fanfic as well. Fanfic was where I found my voice and where I found out how to like, you know, flesh out characters because fanfic's a great character study. If you ever want to, 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 uh, to figure out a character study, you, you write fanfic. And so I signed with my agent with uh, my space opera. And then I auditioned for um, an IP project, um, a work for hire for quirk books and that turned out to be geekerella and uh i guess the rest is history i i sold two more books to harper after heart of iron and then two more books to quirk uh to finish out the once upon a con trilogy and then uh in early 2020 i was like hey holly how about a ghost story <laughs> well that's great and i love that the first piece you wrote was three hundred thousand words I mean, I know a lot of writers who sweat bullets at 80,000, right? So for a 14-year-old to write 300,000 words, kudos to you. The manuscript must have been about three inches thick. (laughs) I was so big. It was a lot of words. 
it was so many. I, I, I still have it too because I printed it out because I printed every book that I wrote out and I put it, I put them all in binders and, and like this, this thing was like three binders. Um, and I some, <laughs> I sometimes break it out whenever I'm on a panel and it's like, what's the first thing you wrote? I would always break out that first, the first prologue, and it is the worst thing you can ever imagine. But I love it because it was, it was me at fourteen. Yes, absolutely, and that is such a tender age. Whenever I teach, whether it's young children, young adults, or adults, I always say, you know what? It's better out than in. Whatever you're feeling inside, either splash it on a canvas or just write a few words, but it's better out than in. When you look at little kids in kindergarten, they don't have a clue about imposter syndrome. And how great would it be if we can just continue that all the way through to high school and college? The arts heal us. Yeah. I mean, everyone's so worried about perfection all the time. It, it's important just to just to get it down because then you can later like tweak it and you can change it. But like the, the hardest part is just putting it out there. Better out than in. Yes. <laughs> in The Dead Romantics, you describe Florence's writing practice. How is her practice similar and different to yours? I have found that with every book that I have ever written the process has been different because the story has been different um so it really depends on like what kind of story i'm telling and how it wants to be told sometimes it's linear sometimes it's not sometimes it has to be linear because i'm on a deadline and i don't have time to mess around with like writing certain scenes before others but uh, in a in a a perfect world it just depends on how i want to uh like write the story like which uh Usually for almost every story, I start with a scene. Like it's like the big emotional scene for uh, for Dead Romantics. It was the graveyard scene uh, when they're walking through the graveyard. That was the first scene that I ever wrote. Um, it wasn't the first one people read, but it was the first one that I wrote. That I'm like, okay, this is this is the feel of this book that I want. And so from there, I was like, okay, who are who are these people? What do they want? And I kind of branch out that way. So I usually always start with a scene. Uh, but otherwise, it just it really all depends on the book and how I and like how much time I have and whether I'm split between like writing and editing or writing and, co- and like a, approving copy edits or line editing. Um, I usually write better in the evenings and I usually edit better in the mornings. So that really messes up a lot of my sleep schedule. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. And did you study writing in college? I did. Um, I always say that I got a um, that I got a degree in BS because I got a degree in English, um, a bachelor in sciences. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, I, I I went I, I went to I went to the University of South Carolina, and I went there almost solely to study Lord Byron because when I was a teenager, I loved Lord Byron and Percy Shelley and Mary Shelley and just that entire that entire group of of, of authors. So. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's why I went to, to college. I went to go, I, I went to study English and I ended up leaving with an English degree. And reading and books are no strangers to your stories. And in The Dead Romantics, Florence is surprised by the book that changed Ben's life. Is there a particular book that changed your life? I was wondering if it was Byron. Oh, it is actually not Byron. The book that changed my life was Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne-Jones. I read it when I was 12 and it has been like my one comfort read for 
as long as I can remember whenever I need to be held or whenever I need uh, like a nice, like warm place to, to rest. That's always where I go to. I have no idea why um, it was. I, I, I read the book before I ever saw the Miyazaki movie. I just kind of gravitated towards it. And I really like how it, it's like just like a soft, low stakes fantasy. And, you know, in the end, everything's going to turn out well. And I really think Diana Wynne Jones through all of her novels, she always like made sure that you are comforted by the fact that this would end all right. And I really, I really love that about her novels. And out of interest, did you read that book at the onset of COVID? I did. I have read and reread that book so many times during the pandemic. And the audiobook is one of my favorite audiobooks of all time. I think I re-listened to it at least two dozen times. It is one of my favorites. Yeah, I think many of us just went straight to comfort reading, the books we don't have to think about that we know are going to make us feel good, uh, like that blanket that we wrap ourselves in. I found that fascinating. Yeah, it like it 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 regulated me a little bit. It, I was like going into the book, you're like so scared and you're so you know you you're panicky and you want something to comfort you, and then by the end of it, you feel a little more confident in being able to process what's happening. And in the same vein, what do you do to create balance in your life? And is there a practice you do to slip into writing mode? That's kind of two questions in one, I guess. Ooh, I really don't have a good balance with my life right now. I am very bad at balance. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get better at it, but I am, I, I'm pretty terrible at, at balancing my, my, my work to life ratio. But to get into writing, I usually um, listen to a playlist that I have set up. Um, especially if I'm working on two different things at once, usually I'm editing a book and also writing another book. So having to like sw switch mindsets from one to the other, um, a playlist helps a lot. I can't listen to it while I'm writing because then I end up, you know, uh, writing, writing the lyrics to like, the, welcome to the Black Parade. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pretty sure my chemical romance would not like that. But yeah, so I, um, I try and listen to like a few songs like to get me in the mood and then I will dive into the novel or if I'm just working on um, the, the, the book in general, I usually have notes for myself wherever I leave off. And especially if I'm like writing new stuff, I have notes about the emotional beats I need to hit in the next writing session. I have like what, what emotions I'm going in, like are, are a part of the scene at the moment. Um, and usually one or two like dialogue tags of uh, conversation points that need to be hit in the next scene. So that, that's usually how I go about it. And do you ever teach writing workshops? Oh, I, I do not because I am so chaotic with my writing. I am pretty sure that no one else would get anything um, out of any writing workshops that I do. But you never know. Maybe if I can like fine tune my chaos and put it into a nice package, I, I would not be against it. <laughs> I think you might be surprised, Ashley. Uh, listening to you speak, I was thinking to myself, this young lady is organized. She knows what she's doing. So maybe you'd be surprised. Really? Well, thank you. Ashley, you're a sweetheart. I loved your new book, The Dead Romantics. It is wonderful. Just the right amount of romance, ghosts and writing what more could we ask for and thank you for being a guest on the bookshop podcast thank you so much and i'm really happy that it was like a warm hug that's that's all i that's all i want the dead romantics is definitely a warm hug thank you this was such a lovely conversation 
You've been listening to my conversation with author Ashley Poston about her new book, The Dead Romantics. Make sure to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Mandy Jackson Beverly. And check out my website at mandyjacksonbeverly.com. And if you'd like to contribute to the coffee fund, go to thebookshoppodcast.brassbrout.com, click on the little orange heart in the right-hand corner of the page, and you can donate using PayPal. Your contributions support the production and editing costs of the show. For information regarding sponsoring an episode, email thebookshoppodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Theme music provided by Brian Beverly.